did. Uh, we feel the love coming from you. We feel the love of God in this place. A lot of you have already reached out to us and embraced us before we even started this morning. Some of you I know from the past, from several different places. Some of you are seeing me for the first time, and you're probably thinking, who's this guy? Which I would probably be thinking that too if I was in your position. But Man, we are so excited to be here with you. Uh, I'm going to invite you from the very beginning to turn to Mark chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapters 1, 2, and 3 this morning. Uh, man, I appreciate the prayer from Matt. Uh, I appreciate uh, everything. Uh, our job here is to, to grow with you and to help point you in the direction of Jesus. And that's what I want to do this morning and this month. And we're going to study through uh, some some highlights from the Gospel of Mark. Now, as you're turning over there, I guess I'll say a little something about my family. Uh, I know it's already been mentioned. My wife, Jessica, hopefully you get a chance to meet her. Uh, I have a daughter named Addie, who turns five later this month. And we have a son, Christian, who's one and a half years old. Uh, boys and girls are very different from each other. You probably know that if you have children. Uh, Christian is a wild man. Uh, you will learn that quickly. Addie's a little more timid and very polite. Uh, Addie's about to turn five, as I mentioned, but when she was three, uh, we were going through this stage where she hated going to bed. I guess she's a, a night owl like I am. Uh, so Jessica came up with this idea that we would give her a countdown to get ready for bed. So we would tell her, Addie, you have five minutes. In five minutes, we're picking up the toys and we're going to bed. And then we'd give her the three-minute warning. And then we'd give her the one-minute warning, and then finally, okay, pick up your toys, go to bed. That worked most of the time. Uh, one night, she was in our room, and she was playing church. She has a great imagination, and I guess as a preacher's child, that's what you do. You play church. So she had chairs set up. Uh, she had a, a, what she was calling a songbook, and she had her little Bible and she was in there singing, giving announcements, preaching, and I was, we thought it was cute. I was a little bit worried about her if this is what she was doing for fun, but that's great. We gave her the five-minute warning. Five minutes, Addie, it's time to pick up church and go to bed. And we gave her the three-minute warning and then the one-minute warning. And then we said, okay, Addie, pick up your stuff. We're going to go to bed. And she didn't like that. She started to fight us on it. She started to throw a little fit. So I walked over to her and I said, Addie, hand me the Bible. She threw herself on the ground, and I reached down to grab it from her, and she said, this is the word of God, you can't take it from me. <laughs> that's, that's a three-year-old. And I thought, we're either doing something right, or we're doing something wrong as parents, that our three-year-old is already using the Bible against us. <laughs> now, as a parent, we want to be intentional. As I'm sure parents and grandparents are in the audience today, you want to be intentional about raising your children. Uh, even if you don't have kids, and you're influencing someone for the kingdom of God, for Christ. You want to be intentional about what it is that you're doing, but that day made me really stop and think. Okay, Addie knows church. She knows the, the lingo, the language at church. She knows the church culture, the songs, and things like that. But what are we really inviting her to be a part of? More than just knowing church. How are we going to develop this relationship of Christ in her heart? How are we going to do that as a church here at Pine Tree? In Mark chapter 1, as we're going to start this morning, Jesus begins with this invitation. I like the Gospel of Mark. We're going to spend some time in Mark this month. Uh, you know, Matthew and Luke, 
They spend quite a bit of time on the genealogy and the birth story of Jesus. The Gospel of John has this beautiful poetry in chapter 1, introducing the incarnation, but Mark just kind of jumps right into it. Jesus is an adult. He introduces John the Baptist. Jesus is baptized. He's tempted in the wilderness, and now he's ready to begin his ministry. And so we're going to start in verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And I love the way he begins. The time has come. Some of your versions may say the time is fulfilled. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The central message that Jesus brought was this idea of the kingdom of God. And he closely links it with repentance. The word repent in Greek is this word metanoia. And if you've ever heard the word repent in a sermon or Bible class or studied the word, you probably know that it means to do a 180. Like you're going one direction and you stop and you go the other direction. Usually the word repent is used when we're, you know, kind of like doom. Like you better repent or everything's about to be over. But the word repent, the way that Jesus uses metanoia, the way that he uses it here, it's an invitation. He's saying repent, go in a different direction, but you're not just going aimlessly in another direction. When you repent, you're going in the direction of God. So he comes on the scene, he says the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, believe the good news, go not just in a different direction, but go in the direction that I'm leading you in. So then he invites these fishermen in verse 16. Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. When he had gone out a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. From the very beginning, we have this, in the first century, he would have been considered an unorthodox rabbi. He's calling disciples, and that's how rabbis would do it. Come, follow me. It's an invitation. But notice what these guys are doing. They're fishermen. They're following the family trade. They're working night and day trying to earn a living. They're not in the temple at Jerusalem learning to become a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a future rabbi. They're not teaching in the synagogue. They're working. In the book of Acts, we're told that they're uneducated, ordinary men, and this is who Jesus extends the initial invitation to. Come, follow me. And I like how the the language that Mark uses at once. They leave that boat, they leave the nets, and they go in a new direction. That's repentance, or at least going in the direction of God. They accept this invitation. It feels good to be invited. About a month ago, a lady was talking to me, and she said, are you going to so-and-so's birthday party tomorrow? Like, asking if my family was going. And she could see that I looked puzzled. I said, what birthday party? And she quickly tried to change the subject and started asking me other questions. I said, wait a minute, what about this birthday party? And she said, there's a birthday party tomorrow. I said, okay, I guess we didn't get invited to it. And then I followed that by saying, you know, probably wouldn't have gone anyways, trying to look cool. But, but what I, I thought, I was like, you know, it just feels good to be invited. 
It's nice to be invited. Not just a birthday party. It's, it's, it's nice to feel included. It's nice to feel invited. And he, Jesus invites these guys, these fishermen, to be his disciples. But initially, that invitation, and that invitation still today, is for everyone. No matter who you are. No matter your status in life. No matter your income or your race. That invitation is for everyone. And he sets the pattern, he sets the example right here with these fishermen. So we're going to look right now in Mark chapter 2 and another invitation that Jesus extends. In Mark chapter 2, we know Levi, also known as Matthew, who writes the Gospel of Matthew. Once again, Jesus went out beside a lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. These are words you've probably read before, but maybe it's nice to hear it in a fresh way, to hear this invitation in a fresh way. He's sitting at this tax collector's booth, and you see this picture. He leaves it. He gets up, and he goes, and he follows Jesus immediately. Like they leave everything behind to go in a new direction that God is calling them to go in. A little over a decade ago, I was getting ready to finish up my career at ACU, get my degree, and to be honest, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I spent a lot of time praying about it. I was trying to figure that out. And leading up to one summer, a friend of mine who I'd consider a mentor came up to me and he said, I want you to be my intern this summer. I was like, oh, you're a youth minister. He was a youth minister at the League Street Church of Christ in Sulphur Springs at the time. And I said, I, youth ministry is not in my plans. I'm not looking to be a youth intern. He said, I know, but I want you to come and be my intern. And he said, go home, pray about it, and let me know. So I went home and I started praying about it. And I thought, you know, this may not be in my plans, but my friend's name was Chris Shelby. And I said, you know, Chris is one of the most Christ-like people that I know. He's offered this invitation. I'm going to do it. So I accepted his, his offer to come be his intern. And then that invitation and accepting that invitation changed the trajectory of my life. Like that summer started a new direction for my life. And it started with that invitation that he offered me. In the academic world, there's this thing called the Pygmalion effect. Maybe you've heard of it if you're a teacher where you increase uh, higher expectations on students, and it increases their performance. It's kind of like you look at a student, and the way that you treat them is you see something in themselves that they don't even see. And that's what Jesus does for Levi and for these fishermen. He sees something in them that they don't even see in themselves. And he just says, come, follow me. And it begins with that invitation. In chapter 3, he's going to make this all official. Chapter 3, what was read this morning in our scripture reading, which I guess I just should say this, um, I, we're going to do another prayer at the end this morning, so I was asked to do a little bit shorter sermon. So when I'm finished this morning, I hope you don't get your hopes up thinking it'll be this short every week, but <laughs> just a fair warning. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He goes up on a mountainside. The mountain is important. Uh, Moses 
He meets God on Mount Sinai, receives the Ten Commandments. Jesus, when he's transfigured, he goes up on a mountain. Other religions believe that their deities existed on mountains. The mountain was important. Jesus goes up on the mountainside. And in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, Luke tells us that Jesus spent the night praying to God. He goes up on the mountainside and he has some important decisions. He appointed 12. The number 12 is important. He wanted to have 12 apostles because there was 12 tribes of Israel. And so that symbolized that God was doing something new. A new thing with the number 12. And he designated them apostles. Some of your versions may have that in there. He called them apostles. Apostles means sent ones. Uh, But Sharon Dowd, a commentator on the Gospel of Mark, she said that you could also translate that as missionary. He appoints 12 and he calls them to be missionaries, to be sent ones. That they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. So the invitation for these 12 men, that's where Jesus started, the invitation was to eventually be sent to go and to preach and have authority over the work of Satan and the power of darkness. And that is so important. But before he sends them, what does he invite them to do? In verse 14, he says that they might be with him. If you underline words in your Bible, I have that underlined in my Bible, with him. That's discipleship 101. That's where it begins, is when Jesus invites you to be his disciple, you're with him. That's what being a disciple of Christ is all about, is being with Jesus. That's where it starts, and it never stops. No matter where you are on the journey, this invitation to be with Jesus is always there. Maybe you need to hear that invitation in a fresh way. Maybe you're at a place where you're stagnant in your faith and your walk with Christ, and you need to hear the invitation to be with Jesus yet again. But he doesn't say, come be with me, and, you know, Levi, it'll be your week this week, and we'll look on the calendar, and then next week it'll be John's week, and then James after that. He says, come be with me while you're with each other, while you're with me. So he invites them to be with each other. They do it as a community. It's not a one-on-one thing. Uh, We have some enemies in our American culture to being with, being with Christ, to being with each other. We like to do things on our own. Uh, We have an entire TV station dedicated to DIY, do-it-yourself. And do-it-yourself projects, there's nothing wrong with that. I've tried a few. We're homeowners. Uh, a couple months ago, our, uh, our bathtub was, was flooding into uh, the bathroom. It was coming out from under the bathtub, and I didn't want to pay for it to, to get fixed, so I called my brother, who sells plumbing supplies, and I asked him what to do. And he told me to go, and he gave me this specific type of caulk to buy. So I came home. I didn't realize we had a caulk gun in the garage, so I did it by hand, and I filled in the tile in between the tile and the bathtub. It looked incredibly sloppy. When I was done, but it took me several hours. I let it dry overnight. The next morning, I turned on the bathtub, and it started flooding again. And $450 later, we got it fixed. (laughs) And then a few weeks after that, the the lawnmower blade broke. So I decided I was going to fix it. I went, it's an old lawnmower. I looked up the, the specific type of blade it needed. I bought the blade. I came home. It took me a few hours. I got my toolkit out. I replaced the blade. I mowed a couple strips, and I was like, yes, I finally did something on my own. And then I heard a loud noise, 
And a few yards in front of me, the lawnmower blade was sticking into the grass. I'm so thankful my kids weren't outside, no one was injured. But I realized, I've got to stop these do-it-yourself projects because I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe that's something you need to know about me. I, I really, I don't have any skills at all. It's, it's kind of embarrassing living in East Texas because there's a lot, a lot of manly men here, and I, I really don't know how to do much. But these do-it-yourself projects, we try things like that at home. But when it comes to being with Jesus, there's some things that you'll do yourself. And you probably are already doing those. Spending your private devotion time with the Lord and prayer and spiritual disciplines. I hope that you're doing that. If you're not, it would be a good place to start. But being with Jesus is not a do-it-yourself project. It's not something you do on your own. He calls us to do it together. Uh, we live in this culture that has, we're individualistic. Like we, we're private. And we come out in public and we don't want to look vulnerable, so we try to put on a mask and we try to pretend like we have everything together because we believe in the individual. We also live in a culture of instant gratification. We have microwaves and fast food and express delivery mail, and we want things, we want it now, we want it right away. I heard of a church who opened up what they call drive through communion. So you can skip out on the whole church part, on the whole fellowship part, and you can just drive through, pick up your communion, and keep going. Because we have this instant gratification, this individualism in our culture, but when Jesus calls us, in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, to be with him, that takes time to cultivate. That doesn't happen overnight. It happens through trial and error. And what we're going to see in the Gospel of Mark is that they see the best of Jesus, and they see some of Jesus' moments where he's rejected. And he experiences a lot of pain. But the invitation is to come and to be with, to be transparent, to open ourselves up to God and to others, to confess, to hold each other accountable. When we received the initial invitation to begin a conversation with Pine Tree, we saw that your vision was to make, mature, and multiply faithful followers of Jesus. And that was compelling. We began praying about that, and we said, we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of making, maturing, and multiplying faithful followers of Jesus. And so we're, we're here to do this with you, to work alongside you. And the way we're going to begin, the way I'm going to begin, is just by being with Jesus and the Gospel of Mark. Um, I'll start to wrap it up with this. I, we spent some time in Rwanda, and I will, I'll tell some stories off and on about our experience in Rwanda, but there was a, a man named Charles Cabeza, and... He was a Rwandan. He was kind of like my Rwandan boss. And he was talking about how Americans come and do mission work, and then you go back home and you report to your congregation. And you want it to sound good, so when you give a missions report, I mean, you really spruce it up. And he said, I've heard those reports. And he said, I hear people say, hey, we're going to Rwanda to transform Rwandans. He said, what I wish you would say instead is we're going to Rwanda to be transformed with Rwandans. Because God is transforming you as you are helping to transform us. And that's part of why we're here. We want to be transformed with you. As God transforms us, he transforms you into the image of Christ. And that begins by being with him. This morning we're going to sing an invitation song. I know there will be a shepherd up here. We'll have some shepherds in the back. If you need to respond to the invitation this morning, today's a good day to do that. And we invite you while we stand and sing.
Not been alone.